Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello and welcome to today's podcast episode. Um, It's quite an exciting one today. We are going to be talking about a service that helps us understand a little bit about how to get the best out of our clients, not in a therapeutic, sort of specialist therapeutic sense, but in the sense of the people who work on the ground on a daily basis. Yes, our beloved support worker level of the system around our clients. And um, I'm really excited to talk today um, about a specialist service. It's a brain injury service that provides support and cognitive rehabilitation to brain injury clients. And it's a really, well, in my opinion, it's a really unique and exciting service. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a psychologist and I like everything that they do, but I can see from working with them just how valuable and progressive the work that, that they do with um, our clients can look like and what it, what it really provides for our clients. So today I'm really excited to talk to Natalie McKenzie from The Biz Services. And um, today we'll learn a little bit more about it and what the uh, rehab assistants do. So welcome, Natalie McKenzie. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I think that's the nicest introduction I've ever had. (laughs) Oh, well, that's great. Well, to be honest with you, you guys have been absolute lifesavers to the service that we are trying as as a case manager to, to offer our clients. So it comes with, you know, it comes very heartfelt, to be honest with you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, Brill, thank you. So, so, okay, the first thing first, tell us a little bit about who is Natalie McKenzie. Tell us a bit about the biz service um, for those um, who are listening in who may not have come across you yet. Yeah, so I am the director and founder of Biz Services. Um, we've been uh, working for since 2006, so we've been in the field a very long time. So we mm. provide um, very high-caliber rehabilitation assistance to work with our clients. So All of our clients have some form of brain injury. We also cover sort of neurological illness or disorder, but the majority of our work is is TBI, ABI. Across a wide variety of of clients, really, from those that require quite high-level support, sort of um, round the clock with more supervision, strategy implementation, and things like that, to much more higher-level type clients who might need more support with return to work, vocational things, education settings or maybe just more intensive cognitive rehab packages where we're looking at strategy implementation, brain injury education, functional skill practice. Um, so that's sort of my, my field particularly. So I'm a cognitive rehabilitation therapist as well. My background mm. in uh, my degrees are in psychology and cognitive neuropsychology. Mm. Um, so I've pretty much worked in brain injury my whole professional life. I started working with a a brain injury service in London the day after I graduated from my um, first degree and I've done it ever since so wow I, yeah so I live eat and breathe <laughs> brain injury I've done it from the ground up as well yeah. so I started off as a support worker on the ground working particularly within local authority work in Southwark and Lambeth and Greenwich which was really challenging and I worked with a lot of people with things like MS and Parkinson's as well so I had I had quite a um, introduction, shall we say, put it this way, I used to have to wear trainers to the 
to a lot of clients because I would be chased off estates quite often <laughs> because I was oh. part of the part of the system that wasn't wanted there. So yeah, I've I've done it myself, and over the years we've sort of built up a, a much bigger company where we provide much more higher level support and input, and we train and supervise and mentor all of our amazing rehab assistants and give them really specific training in cognitive rehab and brain injury, not just the basics of what is a brain injury. Yeah. It's because, I mean, you've been around for 50, I didn't realise you've actually yeah. been around for 15 years. And yeah, thanks long for sharing time. that. That is a long time. And I think for a long time, we didn't, we never marketed. We just, we were very much words of mouth. You know, it was just, I was quite, I was only about, I mean, I'll show my age now. Um, I think I was 24, 25 at the time. Ah. And, you know, sort of it was it was me also going into the world of business and building up from there. And as time goes on, obviously, we've got much bigger and we have a lot more staff and we have a lot more administration staff as well and, and operations, etc. So a few years ago, we I decided, OK, let's let's start marketing now. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, that's why. And but we're very much and still are. We have such a great reputation that most people know us and talk about us. But I don't think everyone really understands the extra level of works that we do. Yeah, no, amazing. And that would be really interesting to unpick the, you know, the support worker. And I, you can't see me using bunny ears, but the you know, support worker, as opposed to what you call uh, rehab assistant, rehabilitation assistant. Because for me, as a, uh, as a user of your service, not as a client, but obviously as a case manager who has employed your services, for me, it's a, a whole different ball game. Mm. to how I've employed support workers with more care as their um, and personal care as their their duties um the the edge that your uh, the, the the one person I've got in mind in particular who is I think quite one of your more established RAs as you call them re- rehab assistants yeah. I mean the cognitive element is so clear to see and the understanding the, the inner sort of workings of a of the mind of the client is so integrated into everything that they do so even if there is personal care involved it's definitely using a rehabilitative sort of approach yeah I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that what is it that sets out your RAs differently to support workers which may explain a little bit as well about why you're doing what you're doing and why it is that the biz is such a unique service yeah all of our RAs have a psychology degree. Most of them have masters as well. We have a few doing PhDs. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, <laughs> keep us on our toes. I'm bright. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very bright. And it's an interesting one because, I mean, I, I will say that over the years, it's become less important, but it, it brings with it a certain level of understanding about how, how behavior and thoughts and mood and, and all of that sort of brain and behavior process works in tandem. And then mm-hmm. what we do is add on the cognitive element. So we spend a lot of time with our staff initially training them about the role of an RA and how it differs. And for us, the big difference is in not doing for, it's doing with, it's enabling mm-hmm. functional skill. It's not, it's not being there and, you know, doing a meal for a client. It's enabling a client to learn how to do it with your support and with your input from a functional perspective. Mm-hmm. And educating them along the way you know we talk a lot we do training on things like metacognition with clients enabling them to understand why they're doing what they're doing what it means how they predict things and how they evaluate them but doing that in the moment without the client knowing that that's what they're doing Mm. Um, because as you well know 
if a client thinks that they're doing something that they're being watched at or being tested or they're in a being reviewed type setting, it's not very natural. So their behavior changes. But we, the RAs are in such a unique position to be able to do that in a very subtle manner. Yeah. Um, so what we do a lot of is asking staff when they first start with us to really start thinking, to spend a week thinking about everything that they do and breaking it down into a process of sequencing. So, and educating them that going shopping with a client is not just about going shopping. It's a process of planning, memory, sequencing, attention, visual Mm -hmm. processing, all of those sorts of things. So really thinking about how they work on a day-to-day basis so that they can then, with our support, apply it to how they aid a client to do that. And along the way, we're teaching them which brain processes are impaired and what and how they can help sort of um, support the clients in those activities. To me, with my psychology mind, all I'm hearing is data, 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 yeah. <laughs> because data in, you know, informs you know, that planning of intervention for those therapists, which improves the outcomes. So I get very excited when you talk like this, I have to say, because that's the unique, that's part of the uniqueness, isn't it? And the difference between having a carer or support worker without that additional component of thinking about rehab and cognitive processes to sort of bottom up support the clients absolutely and it's also I think they we we spend a lot of time with staff we 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 supervise really heavily Um, not because necessarily it's that they they need it because they can't do it but we sort of have quite an open door policy that if you're struggling to come up with a strategy or something's not working then you call either myself or Eki or, or your team leader and we'll sort of brainstorm together about trying different things. We really like the fact that, that we have that type of approach because it really does help. And we do it in the moment. You know, if a client, and you'll, you'll know this, you go to a client with a great plan of what's happening today. Mm, <laughs> and yeah, what, yeah. what goals you're working on and what activities are to be done. And you have all of your, you've got your toolbox all packed and you turn up and mm, that's, that's not happening today for yeah. whatever reason. And our staff are so adaptable at being able to understand and unpick why and Mm. and turn things around. But of course, there are times where it can't happen. And I think from a case management perspective, I think it's really important for case managers to understand why that happens. Mm. And that that actually, yes, the the RA has gone completely prepared to do the task that was set out in the last MDT meeting or something that the OT set the week before. But just because it's been planned and just because it's meant to be done, it's the nature of brain injury work that more often than not, the challenge is that it can't be for a number of reasons. And I think it's understanding that that's not necessarily due to what the RA hasn't done. It's actually the priority of that session has become something else. Mm. By its very nature, it's collaborative. Yeah. And collaborative approaches offers an insight that no one else is going to know other than who's there in that moment. And if you allow, if your model is to allow for that collaboration and insights to come out, it's going to be used helpfully Mm. in that moment, which may not exactly be the overarching goal, which may be set by the MDT or whatever. Absolutely. And that's, we work hard as well to work with staff to help them evidence that as well. We do a lot, a lot of work on report writing. Oh yeah, it's data. Make sure that they, yeah, that data is. (laughs) I love it. 
relevant and yeah. and also that it it really does give a picture of function because at mm. the end of the day the RAs are in there seeing things in real life and it's not to say that that the case managers don't and the MDT don't but you know I've, I've done it long enough to definitely say that clients will behave differently with with mm. the therapists and the MDTs it's not it's not to do with the fact they don't have the same rapport it's just the nature of it that you know when you've got a therapy session you know the OT's coming or then you know the case manager is coming and more often than not clients will be very compliant and say mm. yeah yeah totally I'll do that but actually, the challenge that our RAs have is that when it comes to doing it, we have a lot of, oh, well, I only said that to sort of get them off my back, or I, I'm mm. not really sure, or I felt that I, I didn't know what else to say type thing. And, and again, that's not, it's no slight on any of the other professionals. It's just, it is what happens. It's the reality of it, because yeah. it's almost like the big brother effect in terms of when you know you're being watched, you behave differently. Yeah but they are yeah. in a u- unique position that they're not feeling as observed. I guess it's a difference between str- strategic and operational, if you want to think of it like that. It's where, the, you know, the, the MDT and the case manager, it kind of, they have the strategy of what could and should work, but the reality is the operational elements kick in and there may be a mismatch because, you know, our clients are human. Our support workers slash RAs are human. MDTs are human and that in those all those individual differences come in to mean that you know other factors can can be at play Mm. um and I I I think it's a really interesting point that you're raising because often from a case manager MDT perspective you know when I'm a case manager or when, when you know when we're offering treating psychologists you know for for us the 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 key, the, the real eyes or fly on the wall experience comes from the information we get from the RAs or the support workers um, who are in place. And actually, for me, it's all about enabling the best information to come out of the support workers rather than telling the support workers what to do, because yeah. theoretically that should work yeah. or the pressures of say litigation which I, you know we're not going to pretend it's not a big pressure it is there's you know it's time limited and evidence-based and all that kind of stuff but I think the real evidence is what is happening on the ground for those 20 well those 24 hours a day you know seven days a week moments as opposed to the one or two hours a week or fortnight that the strategic slash MDT professionals go in does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely and we hear it a lot probably one of the biggest things that comes up in our supervisions is is not necessarily the clients it's actually mm. the challenges of working within the team and not yeah. not because not because people don't want to work collaboratively but as you say it's it's relying on the information coming in from the RAs that is so pivotal unfortunately we still have that sometimes there's well you know the 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 RA should make them do it or you know well he hasn't done it for the last five days you know what mm. what's the problem what you know what why isn't the RA making that happen and it's not it's not as simple and clear cut as that you know no. it's being able to have an understanding that okay so the client may be saying that it's something they want to do but this is a client who has very very poor initiation skills yeah and sometimes the tools will work and other times depending what's been going on in their life or you know maybe I'll give you an example. I have a client I've worked with for 
he was before I started the biz. So he, yeah, 15, 16 years I've worked with him. Mm. I still do. <laughs> I, mm. still, I have a Zoom session with him every week. Um, but when I first started working with him, he was sort of one of the, you know, I'd see him every three, four times a week for four or five hours at a time. And mm-hmm. we would have all these brilliant plans, but, and this still happens. He will have an experience, say, that morning or the day before that has triggered some sort of PTSD re- response or something that's been, he's, he's maybe shouted at someone getting off the tube because they haven't stood out of the way of the doors. And that will take all of his thought processes, mm. all of them. He's got no space for anything else. And part of our role is helping, um, you know, we've got skilled enough staff to be able to help unpick some of that, obviously with collaboration with psychologists, but we don't always have a big team either. That's the mm. other thing. Sometimes it's just us. But having that level of understanding from the case management and the team that, actually they're really doing important work trying to unpick something else so that they can move on to the next task and the next challenge and I remember sitting in the settlement meeting for that and and many meetings before and then saying we're really noticing from your reports that you don't really do a lot for the first hour of your session and I said well if you actually read the reports properly you will see that actually we are discussing the impact of the behavior the the altercation or the experience the day before and until we do that I know from experience that my client is not going to be able to have any attention skills for the rest of that day because he's not resolved Mm -hmm. what's going on in his mind Mm -hmm. and that is really important work and it's skilled work of course yeah absolutely you know, and I think sometimes it can be really frustrating for our staff when all they get is, well, they, you know, I've been told again that I haven't done, ticked this task for that day, but I've done mm. this. And often that's forgotten because data is, of course, brilliant. But if they're looking at it just in black and white of how many, how mm. many tasks were achieved today. Mm, out of context. Yeah, yeah. out of context. And even when we do our, so we have our sort of sessional reports that are all bespoke to every client. So we work with the team initially with the MDT to have everybody's input about what they would like to see in that report. You know, if it's speech and language involved, what are we looking for? If we've got some mood scoring to do with the psychologist, et cetera. And there's the last few years has seen a big push to only rely on that sort of data. But actually we still keep in that more, narrative type input as well to Mm. ensure that everything is covered where you can cover because not everything can be scored not everything can be put into a graph there Mm. are so many different elements to it and I for me and for my staff I think sometimes those things are forgotten about the huge amount of extra and that's something that the case managers at least that's what I find is almost the most valuable is the sense of the client, which is quite hard to capture because it becomes not really quantitative data, if you like, um, but it's, it's the um, quanti- qualitative is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Sorry. The qualitative element, which is, um, which includes all of that processing stuff. And, and effectively what you're describing is your RAs are not just, uh, I say just um, thinking about sort of, cognitive rehab as part of their role there's also a very clear and strong counseling elements where they're doing their reflective you know mirrored language and and their and their their sort of active listening and all of those counseling type um features are are really there to help 
allow for sort of the next bit of input to to happen because there needs to be that debrief from the night before or the the session before or whatever it is because you know it is you know brain injury often has comorbidities doesn't it you are often talking about mental health issues alongside lots of anxiety some obsessive behaviors etc it's not uncommon is it it's not and you know we as i said earlier we work on on staff a lot in training with things like that Mm. we do we we do motivational interviewing type training yeah I love act. I love sort of talking oh, about that. God, talking my language, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really that could be so powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 sometimes I think this is where the issue of also the the respect for the skills of the RA come in because mm. you know, and it's not about saying, of course, you know, they're not trained counselors, they're not trained psychologists, they're not trained CBT therapists, but they have skills nonetheless, and. Yeah. Far too often we hear, well, they shouldn't be doing that. That's the psychologist's job. Or they shouldn't be doing that because that's this person's job. This, this issue of, you know, putting people in boxes is, can be mm. really frustrating. And, you know, this is why we, we actively encourage more work and more one-to-one supervision with the psychologist to, to work on things like that to enable the staff to have even more skills. You know, we're like, tool them up, give them, give them as much as you want to give them. Yeah. Um, Don't, don't say that they're not, they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, obviously, of course, there are, there are lots of things that are not our remit. You know, if we're talking about much more severe psychological work, of course, but that's when we refer back and we, we're the ones in there saying, right, this has been flagged up, you know, the psychologist could do with doing a few more sessions and things like that. So we can, feedback but I think it's understanding that our our RAs have a really high level of skill yeah and and a lot of them end up going on to be clinical psychologists you know they Mm. they they it's a blessing and a curse because we have psychology Mm -hmm. graduates we know we won't have them forever because and we know we train them so brilliantly that they will go on and they'll get great posts um but I love that I love the fact that I hope in time and we'll see it in the next sort of decade or so that all of our RAs are in the, are in there as neuropsychologists clinical psychologists actually having done the work and seen it from yeah. the other end of the the triangle as it were the pyramid yeah. that they've actually been in there and and I it's a really strong part of our values that we want to improve brain injury rehab and make sure that across the board everybody is better yeah yeah and well I, I guess that's a difference as well in the attitude that they bring that it's not a job, it's actually part of the career progression, yeah. which changes the flavor of the work. You know, the, you know the, I mean, that's certainly what I found from um, the RAs that we've had from your service, mm. that it, it's genuine. They're kind of hungry to know how to genuinely improve the support that they can offer this client. But there's a lot of pressure as well with that, because I think if you aren't understood or supported um, in the role that you are doing you then end up kind of being at that that's you know you're the you're the the uh, the gateway if you like to the 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 real life of the clients along with this sort of higher level thinking strategy that is due to help the clients but kind of everything has to go through the the care team effectively you know of which the RA may well be part of or indeed the only person on that level of, uh, you know, of the system around the client. And I can imagine that that being a position of um, holding a lot of uh, expectation 
I suppose with that, then there could be a lot of uh, blame, maybe, um, as to why things are happening or not happening. And it's a position of real responsibility and but also authority. And depending on who you're working with, whether that's going to make you feel like you're being blamed and feel bad about being in the role because you're not apparently doing everything you should be doing or whether it's going to enhance and bring out that sense of, yes, you are an authority, actually, because you're the only one who's actually there on the ground every day or whatever, several times a week. Um, and, and actually that your sense of this client is kind of super valuable. The yeah, difference we, in how you're interacted with will bring out, you know, that which, whichever which side it, it is that you feel. And so it's either a pressured job or it could be a very sort of, in, you know, um, a freeing position to be in. No, absolutely. And it is. We've noticed actually the last sort of three or four years, the pressure on the RAs is huge now. Mm. Uh, and we're having to do more supervision. I mean, we do it we right. do loads anyway, but we're, we've noticed the big shift and there's been a shift in expectations of them. And it's, but we're partly uh, to blame ourselves, of course, because we say, you know, we're brilliant um, users. So there's a, yeah. a high expectation, but like anything, the, the expectations always grow. Yeah, you might have a psychology degree and some experience, but there's a difference in, say, if you've been working in, say, a brain injury rehab unit, and then you come and work for us in a community setting, it's entirely different. You're lone working, you're going in not knowing what you're going into each day. Also knowing yeah. there isn't somebody else behind you in an office somewhere. And with experience, of course, there's, there's a shift from, and I, I see it in, I'm thinking of a couple of particular RAs who've worked with us for a long time, who are the biggest staunch advocates for their clients, who mm. do ruffle a lot of feathers. Right. Actually, I probably get more case managers ringing me saying, you know, this, you know, maybe they shouldn't have said that in the in the MDT. And, and I'm saying, well, why not? Mm. You know, they're telling you what the client wants. It might not be aligned with what you what the client is telling you that they want. Mm. But this is what they're saying. And yeah. we talk a lot about being that advocate when needed. You know, if, yeah. if you're sitting there in a in an MDT meeting and people are saying things that actually isn't the, the truth of the matter or not, not mm. the truth, but actually the day to day reality then you need to be putting your head above the parapet and having the confidence to say that. But that only comes with experience and also us explaining that that's okay, but also knowing that case managers understand why or MD, whoever it is understand why that's being said. And it's, it's understanding yeah. the difference between an RA being defensive mm. and an RA being an advocate. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It brings me to the idea of, what we do in, in the psychology sort of realm when we are, you know, an appointed psychologist, clinical contracting, you may not call it that. Mm. And I know certainly when I've employed your service, Eki usually comes over and kind of, uh, it's not just about explaining what the service is, which is kind of uh, more in line with, I suppose, what the business is all about, what we can offer. It's kind of managing those expectations and understanding um, the role, what it will be and what it won't be. So there isn't that sort of surprise about it. And actually it's seen as a facilitatory ultimately. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, obviously with my psychology hat on, which I also, as we know, take to the case management world, that clinical contracting is really important mm. with managing that because it takes the pressure off and it, the, that sense of awkwardness. And it makes really clear 
you know, what the role is going to possibly look like. It's not always going to be perfect, of course, because we are, as I always say, we are human. But there are, you know, it, in the main, irons out, you know, it makes it very clear, you know, what the parameters are of the role with each other, because it's also relational, isn't it? It's not just yeah. what you're doing, you know, for your, you know, for in the job um, and with the client. It's also in relation to the, con- you know, the professional context as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it tends to be that when we have new people that refer to us who don't quite know how we work, I think probably sometimes we can come across a bit more mm. sort of, I don't well, I will say bullish, I suppose. Um, but we know what works and we know yeah. we know about the importance of things like that. And we'll say, look, RRAs won't do that. That's not their role, you know. And interestingly, mm. we've had a couple, a couple of times, probably last year, when the case managers actually come and said, your staff are too qualified for what we need. You know, they're not that we need more of just a PA type role. Um, and that 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 in itself, you know, I'm happy to hear that because I'm like, no, that that's um that's true. You know, we're yeah. not there as PAs that's different if you're looking for a PA then then you need to be looking elsewhere but it's also I mean I think as well that each client's very different as you Mm -hmm. well know and each packet and each RA is different and whilst they're all trained in the same things they all have different types of personalities they all have different skill sets they all have different and that's the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing is is matching RAs so we don't just say okay well we've got a referral in Maidstone we'll pop in Karen, who works in Maidstone, we might we might say no. Actually, Ollie, that works it, that lives in Eastbourne, is a better match for that. Mm. And yes, it will cost more money, but this person is a better match for that client. And mm. our years of experience of of knowing what works makes a big difference as well. And if they don't, it, it's very rare. I think we can probably once or twice where we put someone in and then it's not been the right match, but it's very very rare. Yeah important part and it's it's we spend a lot of time in the beginning now with the case manager really un- trying to understand what the client wants I mean we do yeah. we do get some high expectations I'm not going to lie <laughs> um yes. we'll get sort of you know I would like a 42 year old graduate psychology graduate who speaks Lithuanian with an interest in taekwondo and of in course, a particular we'll geographical like, area yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure of course <laughs> um you know but it it, it happens and it's happening yeah. and, and because it is more and more I wonder more and more yeah. yeah yeah but what I like about your service is that you're just kind of like this is what we can do and this is what we can't and if we can't offer your service we're not going to try and just get any old person because I know your selection process it you know the fact that you've got such high level oh. um high, highly academically highly qualified people who probably have a wealth of experience you know for their you know for their stage of career development you know like I know you just don't pick anyone up and I know that's what we say about our case management and our psychology service it's just that everyone might work be able to you know work in say personal injury but not everyone can work in the way that you want them to work based on your service and your model to get the best out of of the of the clients that you work with um, and I think that's really um, important because the quality doesn't get diluted then just because, oh, God, we've got this. We want to meet this criteria, you know, this client's needs. We'll just get anyone who sounds vaguely like they could do it. Absolutely. Um, Sometimes we have pulled people out and we've said, you're not they're not good enough. It's not working. 
and we'll say we'll find somebody else it's unusual but if we won't compromise no but it makes a rod for your own back doesn't it because then you've got extra supervision you've got to get extra training and then it's just like oh no hang on this isn't right you know and and it actually becomes you know you maybe get more phone calls to support informally and and maybe even complaints actually possibly I'm you know I I don't know but you you can imagine that possibly happening so you kind of want to get it right from the beginning and that's concept of sort of safe recruiting and, and being sort of I suppose, you know, uh, compliant in, in that sense to, as to what is right for the service that you're offering. I, I really admire that about you guys. The other thing to say is just, I guess this is more as a little, a little prompt for everyone working with the ROs, is that last few years, and I, th- I think I alluded to it earlier, especially the last two or three, you know, because the pandemic hit everyone hard, of course, but mm. we really noticed that not necessarily a generational thing, but it, it kind of is because a lot of them are coming out of uni. They're really, really struggling with the world and mm. their own needs. Mm. And I would say we've had to invest more than ever those last few years in our staff well-being and mental health than ever before. Right. Yeah. And is it is it a result of the the role being harder? I'm not in, I'm not convinced it is. Mm. I think, yes, there is a higher level of expectation, but we, we as managers take that burden mm. um, and we say to them, this is not your problem. We will, we will deal with this. But I think it's just being mindful for everyone that there is a clear challenge for, for younger people coming out of university, going into the professional world, that they're struggling. Mm. And I think people need to be mindful of how they're treated, therefore. And it's not about sort of, wrapping up in cotton wool and, and them not being capable of the job. Yeah. But it's understanding that, as you said, they are people too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if they're constantly being, you know, given more and more to do that's not within their normal remit, then mm. it builds up. And, you know, we, we like to think we, as I say, we, we now have like a well-being hub for staff to just drop mm. into, to talk about anything. It doesn't even have to be work-related. And, and it's it's taken people quite a long time to sort of open up to it. But now it's sort of flying because people are realizing that actually they do need to be talking about these sorts of things. And I say it's yeah. not necessarily just in work, but yeah, I guess it's just a comment for me to say that the world is becoming a bit harder, I think. Yeah. You can all sort of go, oh, come on, you know, crack on. But it's been so noticeable for us. So, yeah. so I think I think that's those are there are two points in that from what I'm hearing. One is that actually being able to recognize that we're all in this very difficult situation globally, and therefore globally you can expect anyone that you come across to be a little bit more wobbly than they would otherwise be, particularly if they're at a transitional stage of their life, like maybe some of the young RAs might be, I mean, they're all going to be young really, aren't they? Because they're, you know, all aspiring to, to kind of move on in their career. And this is, you know, a good stepping stone for them in order to do that. You know, it's, it's really, it must feel very scary. I mean, we're lucky that we've established in our jobs and we kind of have a sense of who we are because we're that bit older, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't imagine what it's like being a young person in this world, trying to make sense of the world and make sense of what their needs are. Um, within that world which is forever changing but the other side is that concept which we know is a a thread of this uh, podcast in general is that we are 
part of uh, the equation in what is going to be good for our clients in the sense that we need to look after ourselves. If our cup is half full, you know, we've only got half to give our clients, you know, all that kind of idea, which I'm saying a bit flippantly and I don't mean to, but it's just because I say it so often. Um, But actually you have to look after yourselves and your service provides a mechanism built in that actually you've got permission to look after yourself as an RA. We've got, you know, ways to help you do that because actually the world is a bit rubbish at the moment. It's a bit confusing and weird and we're all in it so let's all be in it together and let's look after each other that's a really important message it's a very lovely message to hear um and I you know I'm really glad that you're doing that because it it just makes me believe in the service and the support that we're going to get is going to be sustainable while all of this stuff is going on that bit much that bit more than a service that doesn't offer that to their support workers or RAs. it's really really important to us to start those that super important part of the wheel or the cog as it were is not yeah. functioning well then they can't they can't do what they need to do and no. it's you know it's not about saying well oh well you're going in to help a brain injury client who's got more troubles than you do it's not about that it's you know just realizing that each and every person has their own challenges and their own skills and you know we've all been there you know I've had really really challenging clients because I still hold a caseload myself you know and I, oh, okay. I, I tend to get the really challenging ones that no one else, mm. no one else <laughs> well you started it but um you know there's still some days where I you know I might be off my game for whatever reason and I get to the front door of a client and I have to give myself a good come on you know yeah. you know yeah. put your put your game face on and and let's do this um yeah also that the clients need to also understand that you know we are human and we've got as you well know we'll have we have some clients who are quite discriminatory they mm. can you know for all sorts of reasons uh, race gender whatever and they sometimes we, we've had a particular um, issue in the past and still ongoing where we keep reporting this discriminatory behavior and yeah. we're saying you know can can something can somebody talk to the client about this, this and this? And yeah. we often get, well, you know, they just can't monitor their behaviour. Like, yeah. Well, I guarantee if they were saying it to you, yeah. you'd be having yeah. a different response. But because it's you're only hearing it that they're saying it to somebody else, it doesn't affect yeah. them, does it? Yeah. Which, um, which is tough. And it, that's really tough for, for some of the staff. Yeah, yeah. psychological safety um, yeah. is so important and... Yeah, I mean, it's about, you know, what we, we all know is, and it's another topic, isn't it, for another time. But um, in fact, I've, I will have done a, a podcast on this being, you know, sort of thinking about discrimination and privilege, actually, which is a really tough topic to, to talk about in general. But yeah, that's really, yeah, thank you for raising that, because I think it's really important. And what isn't true for you may well be true for someone who is a minority of some description. Yeah. Um, and that concept of supporting and helping your the professionals feel safe as much as the clients it's a double responsibility and sometimes I feel it can be forgotten towards the professionals because we are all about the clients and I get that but again the clients are not going to feel safe if the support worker doesn't or professionals don't feel safe it's another conversation as well I mean we we've done talks of sort of you know the cultural challenges of working in community rehab and Mm. we spend a lot of time saying it's not just about the the cultural challenges of the client and the family yeah it's on the other side as well totally yeah, totally totally that, oh that is another podcast <laughs> episode oh yeah I'm gonna 
put that, I'm writing that down as we talk. <laughs> but look, we, we've obviously overrun because we did say we were probably going to overrun. So we have, we've just met our own expectations right there. But let, let's, you've already mentioned a couple of things because, you know, one of the things we do do with this podcast is we try and offer something that's helpful and it's sort of a take home message. So three take home tips, you could say, for case managers or, you know, personal injury solicitors or indeed therapists who may be listening in um, to help them get the best out of, in this case, support workers or rehab assistants. And you've already mentioned two things. One is, you know, just recognising that we're all struggling um, and that it's about managing the, um, the context of the support worker as much as the context of the client's needs. And you were, you were talking, you, talking earlier about the, the importance of the work that, you know, this sort of gatekeeper role, you could say, that the support workers have, how that, you know, that's, that seems like a tip in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's understanding that their role is pivotal. They are a very, very important part in the wheel or the cog, whichever, whichever analogy you want to go with. Yeah. Um, they're really, yeah. really important. And I think my biggest one is to make sure they're always involved. Far too often, there's MDD mm. meetings that go on with no, with no RA, where, RA there. Mm. I know that yeah. funding is an issue, but I think it needs to be a priority. Sending yeah. in a report just isn't, isn't going to cut it make sure that they're involved and, and have that mutual respect that you're all working together as a team and they're not they're not beneath anybody else just because they don't have you know more letters after their name mm. they're really skilled and they have amazing insights and if you can work with them and nurture them to build up their confidence to have that voice they will give you what you need yeah that's deep that that's yeah, yeah. no I totally get that I that the, there is no hierarchy actually at that level when you're an MDT you're an MDT and it lends itself to the idea of actually maybe not being multidisciplinary, but being interdisciplinary um, because everyone is feeding off each other rather than working in their own separate silos yeah. um, around this client in question. Yeah, no, that's, that's good stuff. Thank you so much. I think, yeah, do you, is there anything else you want to say specifically about kind of how to, how case managers can, and, and personal injury professionals can think about working with RAs? I think, like I said earlier, it's just thinking about when things aren't happening as they expect them to. Why? Actually, mm. just not jumping to conclusions. It's because the RA hasn't done something. Actually, spending time to understand it would yeah. be really useful because, as I say, mm. some things can't be put into qualitative. I can never say it. I'm glad you said it earlier. <laughs> do scores. <laughs> um, you know, and, and spending time to understand that. And as I say, working with them and not just... It, it can be very frustrating when we only hear from case managers when there's a problem. It would be nice yes. to hear more often when there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think just making sure that people do understand both the, the solicitors and the case managers that they're a really, really important cog um, and they need to be included at all, all along, really. Yeah. Obviously not in important sort of strategic matters or costings or anything like that, but don't, don't just assume that because there are an RA, they don't have any other skills. I mean that 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 RA that you were talking about that you were, that that works with us is um, mm. she, she's going on to do counselling. We're supporting her to do a counselling qualification. Most of oh. our staff are go, are also that doing things. You know, yeah, they they you know we've had some that have interests in personal training, so we've supported them and funded neuro PT. We've had speech mm. language that we've supported and funded. You know, we're always trying to give them that that boost and that confidence and arm them mm. with more tools but the, 
all you guys can do that as well. What we'd love to hear is if there's a case manager working with an RA and you see a particular sort of um, strong trait or a skill, we want to hear about that and what we can do to, to support that too for the client and for the RA because we're all about increasing standards for everybody because it all... all but also connecting with passion. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, so, that's such a nice thing to hear from, you know, from my perspective. I, I absolutely did not recognise that. And, and now that you've said it about the person that you mentioned with who's interested in the counselling, I'm just like, yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what she should be doing. Yeah. That's 100% her. That's amazing. Exactly. And it's interesting with her because she doesn't see it. Oh, you know, she, okay. So, and and I, again, I think, you know, they're in there day in, day out. And we, we often have to point out to them what amazing work they're doing. Because yeah. that's the thing at this level of rehab. You don't get the big, massive wins that you mm. see in, in more acute settings, mm. you know, don't mm. have walking and the, you know, all of that. The wins that we celebrate are much more subtle and more yeah. term. And yeah. I think, you know, staff need to hear that too. Definitely. So, you know, case managers could be giving a bit, you know, a few more virtual high fives when things go well. Yeah. Lovely to yeah. see that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I yeah, I hear cheer, you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, sort of just having that understanding and that there's a lot of there's a lot of skill in this work. And it's not yeah. just about being a carer or a support worker or an RA. Everyone, you know, even across the board, everyone has a skill in a certain area. But yeah, I, I think it's it's hard. It is really hard. Um, but it's mm. a great it's a great role. As I say, I love the fact that much as it's a, a headache for us when they go off and do clinical, we have such a sort of sense of pride that, you know, we hope that the work that we've done and all the training that we've done and the approaches that we have go on and make them better. Oh, definitely. And I, and I will certainly I can speak from for my clients um, in mind with this now soon to be counsellor, possibly. Oh. Um, <laughs> RA, I, absolutely. That's exactly how it feels from my side. Oh, Natalie, thank you so much oh, thank for you. giving us that insight. Amazing. Um, I felt like I've learned so much about your service, even though I've been working with you for years. Um, <laughs> no, that's thing then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Everyone can find us on our website and um, yeah, we'll brill convention this year. But there's yeah, we've got lots of things we're working on. We're we're um in line with what I just said about, you know, how important it is to work with staff. We're doing a biz training academy we're launching this year mm. as well. Um, that's more Ooh. specific in terms of training. And yeah, we're always, we will always be around at conferences and on our website, of course, if anyone wants to make a referral. Tell us what your website is. Um, www.thebiz, which is the, and then uk. And on there, you'll also, um, you know, this is something we have been marketing, but we have our new um, independent living assessment property called The Link, mm, which is yeah. a placement where we're in there 24 hours a day in a very subtle manner. We've got lots of great sort of subtle hidden strategy implementation and smart tech mm. um, in there. So we can get some really amazing data about functional living skills to inform solicitors and case managers what, what clients need for independent living that's been a labor of love um and we've got another one in the pipeline but um yeah so if anyone wants any information about that as well it is on there Brill. and you do hang out on um social media don't you linkedin yeah. we do we're on linkedin 
Um, and then I also have another handle myself, which is the Cognitive Rehab Coach on Instagram, which is more of a, yeah, it's a bit more of a uh, humorous side to things. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, check, I'll check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have to, I'll, I'll put all of those details on our show notes so people can access them with ease. Thanks. Great. But it's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you. We love yeah. And, you, and to you, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. And I guess that's a wrap. So thank you all for listening in. If you did like what you heard, please like, share and comment on the platforms that you're listening on. And I will see you. No, I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks. Bye for now. Before you go, If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 